Looks like an exciting time, doesn't it? Kalahari, please pray for Zach. Can you imagine being responsible for 2,500 teenagers? That's scary, man, but he's got a, a great team with Luke and Michael, and then we have a bunch of volunteers from our church over there this morning making all that happen, and, and it's a very cool thing. Pam and I were there last night and got to sit in on one of the sessions, and I got to tell you, Tim Wilson, uh, our worship leader, he's in his element over there. I mean, he, he's just loving it. Great to have Caleb here, and I, Caleb, can you imagine? Not only Caleb, but Tim, too. I mean, Tim came up from Houston. Caleb just moved here from Florida. You know, hey, welcome to Ohio, right? It's, it's like freezing outside. He hasn't been here since junior high. I don't know if he remembered any of that or not. You probably heard the joke that's going around where um, a guy, head, it's super cold one morning, guy heads off to work, and he, a couple hours later, his wife heads off to work. She gets out, tries to start the car. The car won't start. And so she calls her husband and says, Car, car's not starting. And he says, well, why is it not starting? She goes, I don't know. He goes, well, what does it say on the dashboard? And she says, everything looks the same on the dashboard except for there's a guy, a uh, picture of a guy sitting on the toilet. And he goes, a picture of a guy sitting on the toilet? What are you talking about? Send me a picture. And he's like, honey, that's the temperature. Um, you know, so anyway. I mean, it's cold, so... We've been in a series called Resolve, and uh, Tim kicked us off last Sunday talking about the importance of ingesting the Word of God, and we had a great response uh, to that message last Sunday, and a lot of people came back to get some of those reading plans. You can also do that electronically, as Tim was saying, a lot of different methods of doing that. If you still want one of those reading plans, I think we had some more, because we had actually run out last Sunday, printed some more, ran out again. But uh, there's some available out there, I think, at the information table after the service today. And then also, if maybe you're here and you don't even have a Bible, it's just not something that you've ever owned, we'll give you a Bible. as our gift to you. Stop by the information table. We're, we're glad you're here. And please accept that just as a gift from us. So we're, we're moving forward. We talked about the Word of God. And today, in our Resolve series, we're talking about prayer and Jesus prayed a lot, and he taught us how to pray. And the main place we see that is in the Sermon on the Mount. And so I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, either turn there in your Bible or turn on your device to Matthew chapter 6, and, uh, or we also have it up on the screen for you to follow along. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, here's what Jesus says. When you pray… You are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words, so do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then, Jesus said, in this way. And now I would like us to all recite the Lord's Prayer. And it, it, there's slightly different wording, so we're going to put it up on the screen for you. And so we're going to do this together. Do not leave me hanging, all right? Are you with me? Yes. All right, here we go. 
Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Before we move on, I'll just throw out a couple of, of comments by way of explanation. Um, some of you know that prayer, and it doesn't have that last phrase, the end of verse 13, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. That's called the doxology. And, and the reason that is, and the reason it's set off in brackets in, in your Bible that we typically use here, the NASB, is because scholars have noticed that that closing phrase is not in the very oldest manuscripts of the New Testament. And I know when we say something like that, it can kind of freak you out. Whoa, you're saying something in the Bible is not supposed to be… Let me explain, because it, it really shouldn't freak you out. It really shouldn't cause you to doubt the Bible. It, it's just the opposite. You know, people used to say, well, how do you know the Bible is right because, you know, it's been passed down through 2,000 years. You can never get back to the original, what it originally said. That, that's absolutely not tr true, and nobody responsible says that anymore because we've done so much archaeology. Here's the deal. We can tell, for example, this phrase was not in the first century manuscripts that we have, but it started showing up in the second century manuscripts that we have. This should not cause you to doubt the Word of God. This is showing you how much we know about the ancient documents of God's Word, that, the, that in the century that it was written, the documents we have there wasn't there, and the next century it was. So, and, and what we believe happened there, or what could have happened, is it could be original was somehow left off, or it could be that as people recited the Lord's Prayer in the second century, they came up with this doxology to kind of finish it off in their corporate worship, and then that somehow got written in to Scripture. But there are very few places like that, and again, it should not cause you to doubt God's Word. It should give you confidence in God's Word. Not only do we know everything that was written in the first century, we know when there's been a little adjustment between the first and second century. Are you with me? That makes sense? Okay. Second thing. Some people might say, well, Kevin, here we all together, we read the Lord's Prayer, and that was really cool because, you know, in my church, we did that every week. And so my question is, Kevin, why don't we do that every week? I mean, Jesus gave us this prayer. Why don't we do that? And here's the answer, because I, I get asked this every once in a while. The, the answer is in the text. Jesus is not teaching us the words that we are supposed to pray. Jesus is giving us a model for prayer. Jesus is not intending that we just recite this. And so, we typically don't do that because we don't want the repetition of this prayer to become meaningless because that's exactly what Jesus told us that we shouldn't do right before he gave us this prayer. Does that make sense? So there's nothing wrong with doing it unless when you're doing it every Sunday, and this is our fear, that it'll just become habit and rote, and now we're just we're reciting this prayer as we're thinking about the lights or the pot roast or, or whatever else, and that's exactly what Jesus tells us not to do. So that's why there's nothing wrong with saying it, but we don't recite it every week. Does that make sense? All right. Now, Jesus teaches in this passage… He teaches how religious people pray versus 
how we should pray. And you might think that should be the same thing, but it's not. He teaches us how religious people pray, and then he teaches, which is the wrong way, and then how we should pray. So first of all, how he teaches how religious people pray. And that's where he's talking in this phrase, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. You see, religious people think that they will be heard by God because of the way they approach God. And so religion is all about a system to interact with God. And so a religious prayer is this system where it's all about how we approach God. And it's kind of like a contract. It's kind of like I do something God wants, and then God is obligated to do something that I want. And so when it comes to prayer, it's this. I will pray for this long, uh, or maybe with this many candles, or maybe in this position on my knees or on my face, and, and I'll do this. And then by doing that, God is obligated to answer my prayer to respond in the way that I want him to respond. That is the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. That whole concept of, okay, I have a system where I do something for God, and then he does something for me because he now owes me. That is not Christianity. Christianity, Jesus is saying, by the way, that's the religious way. That's the wrong way to approach God. Why does God hear us as believers anyway? Is it because how we approach God? No. Is it because we've done something? No, it's because of what Christ has done for us. That's why we get to approach God. And without Christ, then it, it would be meaningless for us to come to God. We, we would be praying the wrong thing. And that's the issue is sometimes even believers can fall into this wrong way of thinking that somehow I can obligate God through my prayers or the way that I do them and God has to answer me. And of course, then if that doesn't go exactly the way you think, you become kind of disillusioned. But Jesus is saying that's the wrong way to pray. And sometimes our whole motivation for prayer is suspect. I, I don't know if you caught this, but Tim was showing me this on the internet this week. Uh, it's a guy who came in and he robbed a, a store and, uh, and, and that's him behind the counter there. Now he's telling everybody to leave. And, uh, and so they do, they get out of there and he's picking up everything he wants in the store. But unfortunately, when they left, they locked the door and he doesn't know that. So then he's exiting and now he can't get out. So he has a gun and so he starts shooting at the lock to try to free himself. Actually, it doesn't show this on this video, but the longer version, I think he actually finds the key behind the counter, but it doesn't work in the lock because he shot the lock up. But anyway, so, so here he is, and he's trying to bust out, and obviously he knows these people that he let out, they're gonna call the, the police, and now he's desperate. And uh, this was headed up, it was, you know, a robber prays to God. And, uh, and so now he, he's got his hands folded together and, uh, you know, he's, he's praying and he's just, you know, trying to, to get out of there. So it's kind of funny and kind of sad, but I got to tell you, before I laugh too much, I got to say, this strikes a little close to home for me, and maybe it does for you. How many times in your life have you done something stupid or wrong or something you knew God didn't want you to do, 
and then it went bad on you, and now the consequences are coming, and you start praying to God about the consequences. God, you know, we start praying to God to get out of the consequences of doing something God's already told us not to do. I've been there. Anybody else been there? Yeah. That's not the way that we ideally should approach God. When a Christian prays, and notice the guy drops to his knees, I mean, he's doing everything. When a Christian prays, it's not about the position. It's, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. So how does somebody with a relationship with God, how do they pray? And this is also what Jesus is teaching us. And, and we need to know this because I think a lot of times we make prayer awkward or hard. And, and I get prayer is a discipline. And so it does take maybe a little work, if you want to call it that. It takes effort. And, and sometimes it can be awkward, but we make it awkward when we forget that we pray in relationship to the Father, when we don't focus on that Father, um, we don't focus on who God is. I, I, remember, I remember back when I was young, everybody didn't have cell phones. You actually talked on a phone to, uh, in this device that was connected to a wall, you know, so you're talking on this thing called a landline. And I remember I hated long conversations. I don't know if anybody else, maybe, I don't know if it's because I shoved the receiver, you know, too far into my ear, but, you know, my head would start aching. I just didn't like long conversations. Anybody that true of, you know, just didn't like it. Then I got engaged to Pam in, in Virginia, and then she moved down to Georgia right after we got engaged. And all of a sudden, that changed my view of long phone conversations. All of a sudden, long phone conversations weren't so bad because that was the only connection that I had with her, you know, during that time, is that we would talk on the phone. You see, because of relationship, that changed my whole thought about having that long conversation. And really, that's the way it should be in prayer. When we're praying, our relationship is key, knowing who God is and wanting to spend time with Him, knowing that He invites us into prayer. Well, this whole relationship is key is exactly what Jesus is teaching us in his model prayer, he's actually teaching us three truths about God that we need to remember when we pray. So how do, how do people in relationship with God, how should we pray who have a relationship with God? If you're a Christian, how should you pray? Well, first of all, we look at these three truths. And the first truth is God is relational. We need to understand God is relational and Jesus teaches that when he starts off, he says, our Father, our Father in heaven. And all of a sudden, we understand that we get to approach God in relationship. And by the way, in the first century, when Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount here, when he is saying this, he is the first person in the Bible that calls God Father. This was not normal. So when Jesus started referring to God as his Father, 
That freaked people out. You know, they're like, whoa, that's kind of familiar. You know, I, I don't know if that's appropriate. Uh, people didn't like it. And then he teaches us how to pray, and he goes another step, and he says, when you pray, you should say, my Father or our Father. And that blew people's minds. It's like, what? We get to address God as Father? And what Jesus was teaching is he was showing us that he had this unique relationship with God. God. And that if we were found in him, if we had placed our trust in Jesus, that then we gained access to God in that same relationship, that we inherited Jesus' access or his relationship to God. That becomes our relationship to God, that we could come to God as Father. And this shocked everyone. We have Jesus' status as we approach God. It's mind-blowing when you think about it. And, of course, Scripture teaches us this. Galatians 4 or 5 talks about us uh, when we become believers, that we are adopted and we are seen as sons of God. We're, we've come into His family, all of us as believers, as sons, Scripture says. 1 John 3, 1 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God. And such we are, John says. Amazing. And and it's not just that we get to approach God as Father, or some people will, will, will point out that this comes from, the word Father comes from Abba, which is even a more familiar term like Dad or Daddy. It's not just that we get to come to God as Dad, but it's Dad in heaven. And that brings us to the next truth about God, that God is not only relational, God is hallowed. He is holy. He is transcendent. He is above everything. Holy be your name. And, and it's hard to focus. Sometimes I think our prayers suffer because we don't focus on God's holiness. For example, it's hard to focus and really be in the moment of God's holiness when our feet are propped up on the table and we got a cup, cup of coffee next to us, and ESPN is playing on the wall in the background, and kids are running around, you, that's probably not the best environment for us to focus on God's holiness. And sometimes because of that, I think that gets our prayers off to the wrong foot, and it makes it a little awkward, because we're not praying to our buddy or a genie, or the force, or your homeboy. You know, we're praying to God, the God, creator of the universe. And there should be some level of respect and awe and reverence when, when we come to him because he's hallowed, he's other, he's holy, he's righteous, he's transcendent, above everything, uh, we need to keep that in mind. And, and we only get to interact with him because we're doing that through his son. And so we have this relationship, but it's mind-blowing. In my former job, the job I had before I came here, uh, one time I was in my boss's office, one of his offices, and, 
and we were standing, there was about five of us, and we were talking about a situation, a kind of a dicey sketch situation happening in Sudan, and that was putting some people that we knew who were there in danger. And as we were discussing that, uh, the guy I worked for said, quote, get Bushy Boy on the phone, end quote. And he was referring to the vice president of the United States. And in about three minutes, he was talking to the vice president of the United States. And I say that to say this. If the vice president of the United States was actually standing there, or he was right outside the hallway, he probably, even though they seemed to have a great relationship, but he probably wouldn't have said, hey, bushy boy, <laughs> you know. He probably would have interacted with him with much more respect. And really, that's the way it is with us because we're in the very presence of God. It's not like we're telling somebody, hey, connect us. We're, we actually get an audience with the Creator. And I guess maybe more than anything else that I want you to get from today's talk is please stay in awe of the insane reality that you and I, sinners though we are, we are invited into the presence of God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the one who gives us life and breath and holds all things together. We are invited by the one holy, righteous God into his presence. We're invited to talk to him. That should blow us away. That should rock our world. Please do not miss that that is our opportunity. That is our privilege that he gives us, that we do not deserve. He hands us. Don't forget that. And if we started, I think, our prayers with a focus, a deep reflection on who he really is, that we're not just saying that flippantly. We're thinking through who God is. It might change the way we pray. I think it would change what we pray for. Because I think if, if we really thought about that, it, it would impact us. Don't catch yourself praying to a holy, transcendent, sustainer and creator of everything we see. Don't catch yourself praying to him in a flippant way. Remember who you're talking to. Remember who you're praying to. And so that should change things a little bit. Jesus says, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, that's where we go to God and, and, and we just open up with us getting the right mental focus that we are entering the presence of God, that He is listening to our words, where, where we just say something like, you know, wow, God, holy, transcendent creator who, who gives me breath 
and every heartbeat, every second. You know, God, who, who amazingly, mysteriously, you love me, even though I don't deserve it, and you invite me into your presence. If we just started out that way, I think it would change the way we pray. For example, I think a lot of times we come to God in prayer because we're fearful about some circumstance in our life or we're anxious about something or we're worried about something, freaked out about something. And I think if we started our prayers that way, but by the time we got to our requests, the request wouldn't be such big requests anymore. It'd be like, okay, God, well, you know all this stuff here. I'm just handing this all off to you. You take care of it. Because you can I think that would get our prayers right. Um, but it's not only that. The, the third truth is not only that God is relational, that God is transcendent, holy, hallowed, but also that God is sovereign. He is our king. This is the thy will be done part. Um, king, the sovereign over the universe, the boss of everything. You know, there are a lot of people in this world today that you and I, if we wanted to speak our mind to somebody, uh, there's a lot of people that we don't have access to, right? Right? Like if you or I wanted to call the vice president and we say, you know, call, call Pence right now, you know, he's not taking my call and I'm guessing he's not taking your call either, right? Why? Because Vice President Pence, he doesn't know me from Adam. God knows me. And God knows you. And God will take your call anytime. That's what he's telling us. That's what Jesus is letting us know. He is sovereign and he knows us and he cares about us. And not only that, that God has a purpose. You know, he is sovereign. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's sovereign, and God amazingly is working his purposes through all of human history. And for us, that means through our life, through our church, through our children. God is working his purposes through all of that. And amazingly, it's freaky. God has made us players in his purposes for eternity. God has included us, his followers, into his plan for his agenda for what's happening in the world around us. We're players in that, not because we, we deserve to be, not because we're so great, because God has graciously given us relationship and he just made it that way. He just ordained that we could be involved in the greatest thing, the greatest story arc in all of history, we're part of that. And that's how we need to pray. And, and so the question is, how do you pray? I, do you pray about that? Your will be done, God. Do you pray about, God, what are you doing in the world around me? And what am I supposed to be doing right now? What what are we going to do today? Or if you're praying at night, you know, what are we up to tomorrow? What do you want me to do? What people in my life don't know you? How do you want me to impact them? What's my next move here? 
God, how are you going to use me to impact eternity? God, what are we up to right now? God, what are my marching orders? You've given me purpose. You've given me meaning. You've given me mission. What do I do now? Is that the way we're praying? Or are we just saying, hey, God, bless my suburban life and make me comfortable? I mean, is that what our prayers have amounted to? God has made us players. He's involved us in his purposes. That should be incorporated in in our prayers to him. And we pray more effectively when we focus more accurately on who God is and what he's doing in the world around us. I think a lot of times our, our prayers... You know, they just kind of stink. They're just, because instead of starting our prayers with praise and focus on who He is, we come to God's presence and immediately we go into a, a grocery list of all the things that we need. Hey, God, how you doing? Here's all the stuff I need for you to do to me today. You know, one, number one, do this, 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 this. This is all the stuff I need. And we're missing the base. I'm not saying don't come to God with your needs. That's legitimate. But don't miss the basis of our prayer, the who of who God is. Don't skip over the provoking reflection of who God is that God recommended us to focus on and go straight to that list of needs. Don't miss the basis of prayer. And then once we nail down the basis of prayer and who we're talking to, then we move on to the God give us, forgive us, and lead us, the, the three petitions that Jesus mentions. God give us our, our daily bread, our sustenance, our, our daily provisions. God forgive us of our sins because that's affecting our relationship with you. It's, it's wrong to you, so forgive. And, and I got to tell you, every time I read through this prayer, it freaks me out a little bit on the forgiveness part. I, I don't know if it does you. God, forgive us our debts or our sins as we forgive those, you know, our debtors, you know, those who have sinned against us. That's freaky. And, and if you're sitting here as a child of God, if you're sitting here as a believer and you have non-forgiveness towards somebody, you're bitter towards somebody, you know, that's an issue. Because God's saying, hey, if you're bitter towards somebody, if, if you're not forgiving them, if you have a hard heart against somebody, then you're living a life that is not showing the reality of forgiveness in your own heart, and you're actually being a hypocrite. Because you're saying, God, forgive me of everything I've done my whole life that's against a holy and righteous God, every standard that I've broken. And by the way, I'm really bummed at this guy for, you know, he looked at me the wrong way on the way to work yesterday. And not only that, then after this prayer is over, Jesus goes back and makes some more comments on the whole forgiveness thing. It, it's freaky. We want to get the forgiveness thing down. It's give us, forgive us, and lead us. God, lead us not into temptation. You know what I found in my life? that 
if you're struggling with a sin kind of over and over, it, kind of a sin that you just know, yeah, this is a challenge for me, and, and we probably all have them. I know I do. We can actually pray to God. Lead us not to temptation. We can pray to God and say, hey, God, I need help today with this issue. I need your help today that I don't sin in this way that is a struggle for me. And when we pray that sincerely, God answers that prayer. God will help us and strengthen us. It may be that we get in a car wreck or something to keep us from doing that, but I'm telling you, God will help you. And, and, and if you don't want to be in a car wreck, and I'm just kind of kidding about that, but, you know, we need to get busy with some other stuff. We need to get busy with God's agenda. And, and rather than just sitting around or putting ourselves in the place and time and temptation that we know is going to be a problem for us, just be thinking, okay, well, let's, let's break the mold here. What does God want me to be doing right now? Is there some, I, can I change this up somehow? What, cause, cause I, and, and God does. He helps us with that. Just give it to him. And that brings us to the last question is, will you be intentional about how you pray in 2018? This is the first Sunday of 2018. Will you be intentional about how you're praying? I want, obviously, you know, I want Grace Community Church to be a praying church. And this is a key year for us, this year and next year, huge. We're going to stick our necks out. We're, we're going to do something, and we need to own this together. We're going to start talking about that in a couple weeks. But we're taking a risk. We're stepping out to impact our community. And we need prayer. We need prayer for our leaders. We, we need people involved in God's agenda. We need to all step it up a notch because God's ordained to use us. And so we plan on doing that, and I gotta tell you, we need to know, and I, and I know some people might be pushing back a little bit and say, hey, well, Kevin, you know, I've prayed before, and things I pray for, even though I think they're good and according to God's agenda, that didn't happen. And I, you know, several weeks ago, we talked about in the series, Hard Sayings, we talked about the very next chapter, also in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven, and about, you know, give us, and. And we were talking about how, why didn't that happen? I, you guys remember this? Because I'm seeing a lot of blank looks. Remember the Rubik's Cube that we had? Okay. So basically, these visual illustrations only work on like 10% of the people is what you just taught me. But anyway, so like we use the Rubik's Cube, and we're like, yeah, we want this yellow square up here. And then we're not smart enough to figure out everything that, that happens, the complexities of when God moves that there all the, the fallout from that. But God does understand all those complexities. And sometimes when God is not answering a prayer the way we expected him to answer, what we can rest in is knowing that God knows the complexities. God knows what we want even before we ask, although we're invited to ask. And God will do what's best for us because he's our loving father. And then we just rest in that. We pray. We ask. We put it out there. But we rest in God's answer. And so the question is, what about you? And so I wanted to wrap this, this message up in a different way. Obviously, I wanted to wrap it up where maybe we'd just have time to pray. God, holy creator, God, our Father, 
Help us to remember exactly who you are. Creator, sustainer of the universe, who gives us breath and life. And for those of us who are believers, you've given us spiritual life. You have loved us before we were ever conceived, before we were born. You've loved us completely. You've loved us unselfishly. You've loved us with action. You've loved us with sacrifice. And God, somehow you have allowed us to come into relationship with you, and you invite us into your presence. God, help us to take seriously the privilege that you've given us in prayer. And I pray that you'd help us this year, 2018, that it would be the year that our prayer life is more effective, more fervent than ever before as we focus on you. God, thank you. And Father, we pray for our church, Lord, that we would be the church that you would want us to be, that we would be accomplishing the agenda that you set, not we set. Help us to make an impact for your kingdom, your glory, your honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.